You are listening to Faithless Brewing, a Magic the Gathering podcast for the Spike Rogue. Each week we design new decks for tournament play. We put our creations to the test and share our findings on the air. Today we are joined by Serum Visions to share our findings with Joda the Unifier. Do we crack the code on Five Color Legends? After that, we reveal the nominees for next month's project. Which card gets featured next? That's for you to decide. All of that and more is coming up. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. To Faithless Ruin. Tonight we're not introduced by our perfect CEO. However, you have us, what's left, what's remaining, and half decent brewers, starting with me more, and joined by the beautiful the beautiful members of the Serum Visions podcast. Zach, how are you doing from good old Canada? I'm here checking out the test tube, scraping the bottom, uh, and I found a little bit of serum in there. And uh, it's given me a vision. And it's given me a vision of some awesome new nominees for the Faithless Brewing monthly build-around. A little bit of uh, reflection on the past of our previous build-around. And a lot of hope uh, for competitive magic that is never, ever tied up with discourse about uh, trigger policy and or the justice thereof. So, all I said before we start is we're on a short time, so we're really, really gonna skip over all of that because I could go so deep about how do I feel about... You know what? And, and we will at a future point. Let's talk about tournament etiquette, uh, trigger policy, etc. But before we get to that, and that'll be in a different episode, let's bring in... Our beautiful other guest, all the way from Strictly the Serum Visions podcast, Brian, how is it going? Oh, it's going well. It's going well. I feel like it's been a million years, but uh, here I am. I mean, the responsibility is of having a kid and, and real work, right? Yeah, and uh, now that, you know, COVID's totally over, um, well, <laughs> now that everybody in the family is vaccinated, travel is on the table again. So, been doing a yeah. little bit of that, been out of town. It's been nice. Seen some family. That's nice. Just seeing everything that you have missed over the last couple of months. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, good to be back out there. It's good to be back here. Right, that's perfect. So, with that being said, let's start us up with a little tiny bit of housekeeping. Super short, no new patrons, so all I can say is, why no new patrons? Why are you not supporting us, everybody? <laughs> Being a patron not only makes us keep going, also grants you immediate access to our Discord, where you can find amazing tours, you can chat with people, you can chat with us, see how your bros are going and just find the most insane and beautiful brewers you'll find in the Mashi community. Yeah, it's a great place to get ahead of the stuff, uh, get ahead of the game, seeing all the uh, inventive brews that are going around, and getting Mort's deep-cut thoughts on theoretical applications of, um, what is it, hostile negotiations? I, I went so deep <sighs> on my head on that card, and I was proven so right by the fact it sucks. Yeah, it definitely sucks, and um, just play Gifts Ungiven, I guess, if you're interested in that kind of effect, or Memory Deluge, if you're a real control player. If you really want to win, 
Remember you, Luch. If you wanna have fun casting is given. If you wanna lose, you can cast this part one in between Blackheart. Right. Because uh, as I've learned today, repeatedly, uh, and in many other times, losing two or three life as part of your draw spell, not a good plan. What were what you playing that made you learn that? Shadow Prophecy? Uh, no, I was playing against someone who was playing uh, Priest of Felrites. Same issue. So as good as incidental life gain is, you always like over underestimate how good it is. We always underestimate how much the two points of extra damage is going to hurt us. Oh yeah, absolutely. And as someone who plays a lot of creativity decks, anytime I can not take two or three damage, uh, I know how big of a deal that is. This is why nobody plays Fetchlands. They're overrated. You lose life. They suck. One point of life? <laughs> why would you play that? So, with that being said, let's go straight to the first part of today's episode. Today is a two-parter, starting with the wrap-up on Shorta Unifier, and then going into the new nominations for the monthly project. We have some really spicy ones, 13 if I'm not mistaken, to go over today, so people over the, over the week, our beautiful patrons, can vote and decide what we'll be brewing with for the next month. Absolutely, and we have some very exciting nominees, but before we get to them, we got to talk about Joda, the unifier, the previous uh, winner of the Faithless Brewing Monthly Build-Around. So, Yoda, five mana, one of every color, so Boober, legendary creature, Big reminiscence to the original Faithless Brewing special name, Miss It. 5 mana, 5 5 human wizard. Legendary creatures you control get plus X plus X, where X is the number of legendary creatures you control. And whenever you cast a legendary spell from your hand, exile cards from the top of your library till you hit a legendary spell with lesser mana value, and you may play it for free. So it grants all your legendaries cascade into legendaries. And also an anthem effect that immediately makes him like just on its own a five mana six six. Yeah, and that seems like incredibly fair, yet part of a five color beatdown strategy, I suppose, that we haven't really seen before. Um, also, the idea of cascading into a, a lower cost, as we posited before, that's a that's a tricky proposition. So, what were we trying to do in one of the first versions, like? More than anything, two versions immediately pop up. This was mostly in Pioneer that was approved for Modern that we're going to go in a, in a few minutes. But we have the super beatdown, super aggressive, five-color humans, all legendaries where you play Kithion, Obia, Life Crafter, which is the green one from Calares and Mix Tokens, Denik, Katilda, Talia, Adeline, and other legendary humans, and just a top end of Yora to like close out the game. This also enables you to play Mox Summer, allowing you to have a super fast clock. If I'm not mistaken, the leaks with these were a 3-2, a 4-1, and a super soon-to-be-forgotten 0-3, where we just got crushed by Monogreen and Philo and Combodex. There was a 5-2 in a challenge, though, taking ninth place on uh, November the 5th by Kelmaster P. So um, there was at least one very successful outing, uh, including four copies of Collected Company. Uh, and most of the cards, other than Joda, were three mana or less. Yeah, also enabling the fact you're playing all, all legendaries. So they went for trying to maximize the upside in having so many legendary creatures. They have the Yodas, they have the Mox Sambers, and they have Ursa's Ruinous Blast in the sideboard. Oh! There's a throwback. That's big game right there. Legendary sorcery that destroys all non-legendary, non-land permanents. Imagine being in the creature mirror and your mono and your human opponent out of the sudden cast 
Unilateral brass. Yeah, plague wind. Yeah, that <laughs> all of a sudden. That's pretty brutal. Um, exile all non-land permanents that aren't legendary for five mana. Goodness gracious. Or imagine playing mono green and you feel in a good spot, and all of a sudden, all your cavaliers just poof. Yeah, but you do get to keep your planeswalkers, and the beatdown out of this deck can be anemic. However, it is also an overlap of legendary and human, and so there are four copies of Thalia's Lieutenant to buff up your humans, many of which have at least two power as base. So, yeah. Some pretty phenomenal deck building from uh, Kelmaster P and the other people who uh, put together that deck. So what did Dan take for his last spin for Yoda? For his last spin, our beautiful CEO took what he called five-color Yoda July, which doesn't play as many legendaries as you would expect at first, at first sighting. It's a 27-land deck that plays in your three drops, Loran and all Rootstain, and on your four drops, a playset of Omnath. Besides that, your only other five drops are Yoda and Tolsimir alongside Bring July. And the most important thing this deck is trying to do is cascading into Balki. Because Yoda doesn't actually cascade, so it's not actually a Rattad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, cascade spells can't actually flip into Valky and cast it as Tybalt, Cosmic Imposter. But Joda can. Exactly. So that's why you play so few 3-drops and a mostly 4-drops. And so when you play a 3-drop, you immediately get a T-Balt, and when you play a 4-drop, you are pretty likely to get a T-Balt. Alongside that, you play the Bridge to Light Package, and in the beautiful words of Kevran, I built the whole deck to play Giganta, you can see the Giganta on the sideboard, and then at some point, Tulsiver snuck in. <laughs> For anybody that doesn't remember, Tulsiver's mana cost is 2, bring green, white. Yeah. Been there. It feels like a long time ago that they never ever did like unbalanced uh, color symbols. So like Tulsimir would be like one white, white, green, green in the old days or three white, green. Um, hmm. And in the, the new Ravnica, that was like one of the first times I remember they would do a card that it's like blue, blue, red or things like that. And I know Counterflux existed before that, but generally speaking it became a lot more common yeah they 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 definitely were like you know what this is just going to be a thing we're going to make things more pip intensive and that's okay and i actually quite like that like they went a bit more intensive with the colors in the last few sets but what did Dan take out of this so it was a beautiful 3 2 the losses were to monorail where he just got outrun and abs and Grishfang, where he didn't have enough resources to stop the combo and he learned something that was sort of proven by the challenge result, which is Yora is not as good as a control top end. Instead, like, it doesn't do enough to get you to lock down a game. But it works much better in an aggro strategy where it's the top end you need to provide you that last drops of gas while also being an anthem to close off the game where it enters in top deck mode. I think that's pretty clear from the card. I mean, as, as we read it, it's like it has no ETB trigger that generates you value. So, like, you have to stick a Jota and then untap with it for it to be a decent card. Um, or you already yeah. have a well-established board presence where playing Joda is like a triple, quadruple, uh, glorious anthem. Exactly that. So yeah, for Yoda, for my testing, the last thing I took was a Winoda version with Yoda. I got a 2-3 league. Wasn't great. It was, I think, could have been a bit more tuned where it was like the Winota shell alongside Dragavan, Stranglerud K, Season Pyromancer Boys. And Yoda replacing the, you know, it tends to play the 
the guys that makes two one ones has vision and has power and deafness equal to the creatures to control. Oh, uh, mm, yeah, three eight white, the white. drop. That's the window yeah. that top yeah, yeah, in yeah. modern. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it replaced Yoda for those. Um, I didn't feel like I was able to run enough listeners for it to be great. However, in the fact that on its own when it entered, it gave your whole board plus two plus two, because you had we not a plus it when you could get enough a trigger, was pretty decent, but casting it was a bit more trouble than it was worth. It was not easy to get Bulwark. Yeah, I could see that. I don't know. This Jota guy, I don't think I like him. Hmm. This Jota guy, he's not my kind of guy. So the problem with Yoda this month, besides the fact we got to play quite a few number of rules, was the fact that they all went down to one of two things. Either it being the lousy top end in a control deck, or a good top end in an aggro deck, where the biggest problem was the fact it's five colors in decks, you don't tend to want them on five colors. So it always was a bit or stretching the mana, or a bit lacking in the number of resources it provided. Yeah, and I think that's the downfall of the card. Um, I think that's why you're not going to see it ever be anywhere near as popular as Niv-Mizzet Reborn um, in that it just it just doesn't play by the rules of the formats that um, actually can support a five-color legendary creature for five. Exactly. Boy, I bet it's awesome in some kitchen table magic. Oh, you know oh, it. Oh, yeah. There are cards that kind of accomplish the dreaming kitchen table magic, but the problem comes when you have to test test their metal against like true factual like hyper efficient decks against Ragavan. Yeah, so you will either <laughs> need. So the biggest problem comes when you will require Yoda either to be as efficient as the other threats in order to close out the games, or to provide you enough value to actually lock out games when you're gonna enter top deck mode. And sadly, it wasn't able to be either efficient enough on the aggressive or value-intensive-wise when on the defensive like an immediate would have been, and that was the biggest issue. When you compare it to the alternatives, it always ends up a little bit lower in the scale. Yep, and, and that's just symptomatic of the, the way the card was designed. Um, I don't really think we have too much more to say about that, really. It being a 5-color, a 5-color, 5-mana creature makes it so the number of homes you can find for it are super generic, and you have to fight it against every single alternative. It, it being just a value 5-drop means it has to fight against every other 5-mana creature in existence to prove its worth. On the contrary, along something a lot lower in mana. Right. And for a straight-up comparison, I mean, is it as good as Omnath? No, it's not even close, right? And that's the first issue. Omnath is a much better 5-drop than this, right? Niv-Mizzet Reborn at least is kind of like a sideways upgrade in that Niv-Mizzet can draw you like three to five cards uh, and is a 6-6 six, six flying. It's a much more impressive body than Omnath. Yeah, th- this is like on the middle ground where it's m- more aggressive than Niv-Mizzet but not really enough as controlling and a lot less aggressive than an alternative. Like it's in the middle on everything and that's super hard to build around because why not just play Niv-Mizzet if I want to be controlled and why not just play super low to the ground if I want to play aggro? Exactly. It's exactly the same explanation for why Second Cup was a failure as a coffee shop. Because, you know, you have your Starbucks, that's your top of the curve, that's your high-end, excellent value. And then on the bottom end, you got your McDonald's or your Tim Hortons, right? And nobody wants that middle spot. You gotta either go high-end or low-end. You either want your cheap coffee or your uh, expensive, swanky coffee. And there's no space for that middle guy. 
Just get out of here, Joda. You're not Omnath. You're not Invisit. You're not nothing. Go. You're nothing. I know we don't have time to to, to get into this, but I, I can't believe you just did your mayor like that. The mayor of Canada, <laughs> Tim Horton, is going to take offense to hearing that his coffee is subpar. Yeah, well, you know what? Uh, he should. He should take offense because his coffee is subpar. Yeah, that's right. Oof. I'm throwing. I'm throwing down. Come at me. Wow. <laughs> I laugh at this because here we have Starbucks and the only reason you will drink Starbucks here is like people that have enough money just want to take a picture with the cup. Like it's nowhere near enough quality coffee. Oh, that makes sense. You can actually grow. See, see, you're, you're in a country where you can actually grow <laughs> coffee. Uh, yeah. Unlike me and Brian. Oh, it's super close to import. Like, half a decent cafeteria has better coffee than Starbucks. Doesn't surprise me. So, before we get too deep into coffee, because Cavedan is going to come and haunt me as I sleep, let's go <laughs> straight into the important business of the day. The monthly nominations. If I'm not mistaken, I said 13, so I'm going to stick to that number, even if I, if I have no idea if it's true. All right. Well, and this is a very important thing because this is one of the most exciting times of the year. You know, the the seasons are changing. Uh, the the you know, uh, we're, we're some people are getting out of university. They're looking forward to their Christmas break. And what better thing to do than look at some of the most obscure, crazy build arounds in all of Magic history and go, I can do it. I can break card X that Kilgore Trout nominated. Not calling anyone out. But, you know, <laughs> it's always the hardest one. So in the last episode, I did ask Dan to give me one spoiler. And of course, he gave me a really spicy one. And of course, I said, Kilgore, why do you do this again? He doesn't know anything else. I didn't even know. He doesn't know anything else. That's just how he is. Right. So let's start from the beginning. The first nominee, Brian, would you do me the honors of introducing us into these beautiful numbers? Absolutely. So our first nominee is Titania, Voice of Gaia, uh, and this was nominated by Bridger. Titania, Voice of Gaia, one green green legendary creature elemental, has reach. Uh, whenever one or more land cards are put into your graveyard from anywhere, you gain two life. All right, like that. At the beginning of your upkeep, if there are four or more land cards in your graveyard and you both own and control Titania, Voice of Gaia, and a land named Argoth, Sanctum of Nature, exile them, then meld them into Titania, Gaia, Incarnate. Uh, and Titania is a 3-4. And as you may have intuited, uh, this is not just Titania, but a whole package, including Argoth, so that we can do the melding thing. That's uncheckable. If it says Titania, I'm just playing Titania. You can force me to play Argoth, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Bridger writes, meld these. I've been testing them, and so far they have been better than they look. Titania is decent in Pioneer and just brick walls decks, especially paired with Field of Ruin effects. Okay. It's true that Pioneer Pioneer mana bases are so greedy. I wouldn't know. I have not played Pioneer in so long. But I'm a big fan of the meld mechanic. And this one doesn't seem totally insane to make work like uh, a lot of others, although still a lot of hoops to jump through, hoop jumping, uh, you know, pastime of mine. Uh, yeah, I have no context to know how good this would work in Pioneer, but if Bridger says it's going to work, I believe them. 
I mean, we have things like Seder Wayfinder and um, what is it? Grim Salvage, Stitcher Supplier. Um, yeah. There's a bunch of things that mill yourself. So if you have a sufficiently high number of lands in your deck, it's possible that you mill and or select for the right lands and, and, and are able to flip into Titania, Gaia Incarnate. The question is, at that point, are you actually getting something that's a good enough payoff? So the other day I faced a deck in Modern, which was almost a pioneer deck. It was playing Saturday Finder, a lot of self-meal, the Chrisley Salva. It was like the rock self-meaning into Titania. And I was like, you know what this deck is missing? To be in Modern, a Gatrock Monster. Oh. Like, it's, they both work for the same stuff. I transform your Saturday Finder into a draw three. So maybe a lance-based deck, like maybe Titania has a home in modern in a lance-centric self-middle deck alongside stuff like, um, what's the terrible enchantment that plays with Gidrol? You have to be more specific. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> the one that makes Azusa cost one. Oh, um, uh, Heartless Summoning. I wouldn't hate this in a Heartless Summoning sort of shell being additional copies of Gitrog, which tends to be like the problem of the deck when you don't draw your enablers enough. I don't know, could be like a fun strategy to at least test. Or maybe just a lot of ramp alongside what we're playing in the form of um, Triad and such. Yeah. And Urborg with the four drop that whenever a swamp triggers that stuff. I don't know, like super heavy land focused deck. Yeah, that, that shade or whatever it is. Uh, whenever a land enters the battlefield, you can drain your opponent for two or yeah. something. I mean, ideally we want to have all of the lands milled, cast this on turn two, on turn three, play our Argoth, and then flip it, and then smack them for, I guess, probably not all that much. Hopefully you milled nothing but lands. Yeah, I mean, it's likely to come in as like a 6-6 six, six or a 7-7. Seven, seven. Like, that's not too bad, considering you only really invested, like, three mana in the actual Titania. Yeah, and if you fate or something, you're also getting life. Like, Titania isn't textless. Yeah. We have talked again and again how significant, like, additional life gain is, and the fact that when I was playing that game, I was playing a sort of aggressive deck, and they went Titania turn three to turn four, made, like, eight cards, and they gained, like, 16 life. Woo! It's too like for land that went into the graveyard. Like, Fates Lance, everything st starts to stack up really fast. Though it is a one or more trigger, so if you, like, play a Seder Wayfinder and you mill, like, three lands... Yeah, it's only two. You only gain two life. Um, so. But in fact, they went, like, Fates Lance, yeah, Raya, yeah, yeah. Fates I mean, Lance, it, it, Seder... It, it's definitely possible. It started to... Yeah. Also, Argoth isn't completely terrible as a land. That's the thing. Yeah, again, I have to come back to like the two green green activation of create a 2-2 two, two bear creature token, then mill three cards. If that was not limited to being a sorcery, it would be so much better. Yeah, I would be almost tempted to run that card in a like decent league. Right. Like in, in like a fair deck. Um and like I get it. Like it's a green card, so they're they're saying, like, listen, this thing's sorcery speed, don't worry about it. But uh, I don't know. It, it's it's tough. It's tough. It's tough. This is certainly a spectacular nomination, but I think we got a few more to take a look at. So let's move along. Yeah, so we're all happy with it, Dania. It's something we can work on, some bad ideas for modern, some more feasible ideas for Pioneer, and hopefully if it wins, it's likely going to some beautiful shells in Golgari colors mostly. Yeah. 
But we have something a lot more spicier than Titania's chest from below. Because let me tell you about Rivaz of the Claw. For one black red, you can get a legendary creature Viashino Warlock with Menace. And it's a 3-3. It has tap, add two mana in any combination of colors. Spend this mana only to cast dragon creature spells like Niv-Mizzet Reborn. But we're not done. Because once during each of your turns, you may cast a dragon creature spell from your graveyard. And whenever you cast a dragon creature spell from your graveyard, it gains. When this creature dies, exile it. Uh, first turn, Negator writes, This stained glass dragon fanboy has it all. Modern and pioneer legal. Evasion. Card advantage on the ETB. Explosive mana advantage if you untap. Decent combat stats. Zero mana Merc Tides. Turn three Niv-Mizzets. Never-ending Orvars. The first ever Faithless success was with a dragon based, so let's bring it back to where it all began. Yeah, I'm not one for tribal, and this is very clearly tribal. Uh, but when I do do tribal, I choose Magda. So I was thinking, yeah, I was, I was reading that from you. That's actually super interesting. How, how can we jam this into a Magda shell? That's what I want to know. So Magda, of course, is the dwarf lord that uh, allows you to get treasures whenever a dwarf you control becomes tapped, but also has the ability to sacrifice five treasures to search your library for a dragon and put it directly onto the battlefield or an artifact. So, Brian, something that you didn't know, it's like around once every 10 days, me and Antonio play bad decks, all of a sudden, just Magdanize, Magdanize. I, I, have a, I need a verb for Magda something. Magdananize. And we Magdanize a tribe. It, we have Magdanize merfolk, angels, demons, and goblins lately. All right. So dragons seems like their next step in evolution. Uh, yeah. It's something we hadn't seen. Like that's it's the next step. Some dragons like treasures. Magda likes to make treasures. So now we've got like a multi-part synergy going on. You know, Atarka was a staple of those decks. Um, and depending on how you re you build or rebuild it, uh, Rivas of the Claw could be part of that. So right now I'm trying to find. I'm doing a tiny rifle search. What are dragons that cost five or less? We have some staples like obviously Uncharmon, Ibmiset, and Nicole Bolas as good value dragons. Yeah, but we've got some old school staples that are maybe better than they look, like Stormbreath Dragon, which has pro white. Yeah, Timeless Dragon is kind of great. Yeah, and then there's, I think there's like, what is it, Thunder Maw, Thunder Breath Dragon? Which, uh, Thunderbreak? When, yeah, whenever one yeah. of your dragons becomes targeted, the, the uh, person who targets is Thunderbreak Regent. Yeah, it takes three. Mm. Thunderbreak Regent. But that, that's it, right? Like, we're super low on dragons, which sadly is like the limiting factor. Well, but it's the shapeshifters. Oh, you have Dragon Turtle? Oh, yeah, yeah. The, what is it, the Angler? The one that taps itself and your opponent's creature for like one blue. Now, for some reason, taps itself, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then we have Gadrak, which I don't hate. Goldsman Dragon is amazing dragon. And let's not forget the fact that we have redundancy in the effect of Rivaz of the Claw with um, the Sarkin for one red red. Yeah. And we also have the three mana Treasure Horde, which isn't irrelevant as a card. Whenever you cast a dragon, you also will get to draw a card. So what you're saying is we have a rule of 12 on our three drops that help us accelerate into dragons. Yeah, which leads to the biggest issue, which is... How do we make 
like what is the deck we're gonna play? Moonbait Regent also seems amazing because most of these colors are multiple. Most of these dragons are multiple colors. Oh yeah, Moonvale Regent's got some serious value. So a pile of interaction on one on two mana, followed by a turn three Sarkhan slash Treasure slash Rivas mm-hmm. into a five drop or four drop consistently seems like the best plan. Yeah, it certainly could be. The question is how we're gonna how are we gonna make the mana work? What colors are we gonna stay in? Like Jund would be the first place I go, but there's a lot of powerful dragons in uh other sets of colors that you mentioned. Uh it seems like a reasonable pioneer deck. Rivaz is of course um uh stomp proof, which is a fairly relevant benchmark to pass for Pioneer. Um obviously for modern, not bolt proof, but in Pioneer, you can also, if some reason, you can go to Mardu rather than Shan. Mm-hmm. Why would you go Shan? We can go, wait. Mardu Dragons with Ao. Ayo. Azushi, Goldspan, Sarkhan, Moonvale, and stuff. Seems actually kind of amazing. Yep. He might have a legs there. And you can even splash into uh, the black or red legendaries from uh, Neon Dynasty. And then earlier, miss like there's no good green dragons almost somehow. Well, I mean, green and flyers is not a. I mean, you have some, you have some amazing dragons, but they're like not dragon type. You have Niv, which isn't like a dragon. It could not be a dragon. You have Corbold, you have Kura. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Atarka. Atarka, but Atarka is super expensive. Yeah, but it's an eight-eight flying trample that that like. Semi rafts yeah. your opponent's board, so it's pretty, you know. I once in my lifetime lost a game to adult called Dragon in Modern. <laughs> Was it like Flying Vigilance Lifelink? Something like that? Flying Lifelink Haste. Oh, okay, okay, okay. So it's like a Lifelink Ball Lightning for five? It's a, yeah, it just came on swinging. Like, I was like, okay, it's a control. I will have the removal next turn. All is fine. And I'm going to place one of those and I have like, okay, now I have to beat Solitude to remove it because I'm up five. And they draw an exile for and they draw another and I'm like, oh, fuck off. Yeah, well. Chunky <laughs> dragons. Yeah, certainly something with a possibility. But what else has a possibility besides dragon might be cyber ninjas. Brian, you want to tell me about some cyber ninja planeswalkers? Ah, uh, yes. Kaito Shizuki, the planeswalker. One blue black legendary planeswalker Kaito. Uh, it reads static text at the beginning of your end step. If Kaito Shizuki entered the battlefield this turn, he phases out. Plus one, draw a card, then discard a card unless you attack this turn. Minus two, create a one one blue ninja creature token with this creature can't be blocked. Minus seven, you get an emblem with whenever a creature you control deals combat damage to a player, search your library for a blue or black creature card, put it onto the battlefield, and then shuffle. This was nominated by Dylan J, who writes, Kaito is a unique Demir Planeswalker. He rewards you for playing creatures and a color that rewards you for playing spells. Kaito's text box is excellent. He is the first Planeswalker with a plus one draw card. But no one brought this card to the mainstream. Please, Faithless Brewers, bring our ninja friend out of the shadows. Uh, and I, I I agree. I think this card looks sweet. Uh, it's got all the right moves. It is cheap at three mana. Uh, it gives you card velocity. It can protect itself. And uh, the alt is pretty sweet, even if it isn't game ending. He definitely seems like he should fit in some sort of Demir reanimator shell. Uh, 
I have a fondness for the surveil mechanic, and uh, this makes me think surveil because Demir does surveil things, although he does not surveil. But, you know, if we're going to be pitching cards into the graveyard with his plus one, perhaps, uh, maybe we can work something in there. Uh, I don't know. What do you guys think? So, I really like the card. We all know the biggest problem with Kaido is its colors. Like, the biggest issue with Kaido is playing a creature-based strategy in Dimir colors in Pioneer. Because in modern, it's the problem is not the colors, right? The splash is super easy. However, in Pioneer, you have to be either straight up Dimir or an Esper with a soft splash in any of the colors that was missing. Yeah, because there's good evasive creatures for one mana in blue. Uh, and even for two mana. But the question is, like, blue-black, tempo, aggro, uh, anything like that is just not a thing in Pioneer. Um, yeah. So where do you splash and how do you make that work has been always a question. Uh, Kaito was visible for a while in Modern as a sideboard card in multiple, like, Grixis decks. Um, none of which seem to actually uh, have it stick around. Uh, Royal Scions had a very similar vogue where it's like, oh, maybe this is our three-mana grindy sideboard card, and it turns out that, no, it's not. Uh, there's always something that's a little bit more efficient <laughs> than something like this. So um, it is interesting that it creates ninja tokens. I don't know what we can do with that. I know there are some uh, ninjas from Neon Kamigawa that have some tribal bonuses, that might be worth playing with that. Yeah, and the MH Ninja also lets you draw for each ninja that connects. Yeah, that's an ingenious infiltrator. My biggest issue is just that the the alt is minus seven, so you've you've plused for four turns, you alt, and now you hopefully have a good hit in your deck, but you know, uh, what are you playing that you're you're gonna search up that's gonna win the game that is blue or black? I think the, the ultimate is borderline non-existent, sort of the grist scenario where most of the time the, the ultimate is not relevant. You have to get enough value out of a plus one, which is borderline drawing a card. It has to be one of the best plus ones in Planeswalkers ever, alongside the passive ability that just makes it so your opponent can't attack into turning dangers. So you have to make sure you are drawing a card every single turn and your deck can get use out of that. Yeah, it'll be interesting to find out if people are big Kaito fans. Everyone is a Kaito fan. I would love to see Kaito work, so trust me, I will make my best if it wins to try and find... Also, the dream with the advantage of Synthesis... Why did I pick that cartoon? <laughs> Experimental Synthesizer. Evasion of Synthesis. Oh, oh, Evangel. The Evangel of Synthesis. Evan yeah, Evan yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> of all the names, why do they have to go back to that one? <laughs> I wrote Zach. <laughs> yeah, well, you know what? I I, I arrived broken, uh, but maybe I can be reformed via a chaotic transformation, uh, which is what happens to Mord every single time he goes on stream or on uh, the podcast or to his LGS, I assume. <laughs> so, chaotic transformation. A six mana sorcery, five mana red. So, it must be pretty amazing if you want to brew us, if you want us brewing with a six mana sorcery. Exile up to one target artifact, one target, up to one target creature, up to one target enchantment, up to one target planeswalker, and, and or up to one target land. 
For each permanent exile this way, each controller reveals cards from the top of their library until they reveal a card that shares a card type with that and put it into the battlefield. Prison Brides Everyone loves playing a hard evidence into indomitable creativity for an Archon, but that's too top tier for this channel. So how about aiming higher and going hard evidence a turn or two later into an Archon carrying an Ember Cleave? You know, the dream, your Archon hitting for 12? While you are at it, swap your Chandra's to kill for a Tefelior Wandering Emperor and your Fable of the Mirror Breaker for a new one at stage 1. This card requires some ramps such as big score or such, but it really goes soft. Ulamog with an Ember Clip was a personal favorite on turn 4. I love this card because it allows for crazy stuff and it may not win many trophies, but it will gain respect occasionally when it all works. Yeah, this card is sweet. And I, I, I appreciate it uh, as somebody who has also played some creativity, as somebody who has tried to, uh, you know, transmogrify my, my artifacts or uh, um, whatever the, the four mana blue spell is to, to turn your artifacts into other artifacts. Um, you know, all these things definitely in my wheelhouse. Uh, but this one, uh, I don't know. So the big thing Chaotic Transformation does... So I have, I have done my, my thinking about this. And the big advantage Chaotic Transformation does is it works on one type of permanent, not any other does, which is on enchantments, to get, uh, to get an omniscience or such. However, making enchantment tokens is super hard. Yep. Yeah, there's not too many of them. There's like a couple of cards from Theros that might do it. You have Nico? Yeah. Oh, the shards. Yeah. But you don't have much else. No, I, I did a scry, Scryfall search on this one. I found two non-permanent spells that create enchantment tokens. Um, but it doesn't have to be non-permanent. It just has to be non-enchantment. That's true. That's true. It can be a permanent as long as it's not an enchantment. Well, it depends, right? Because if you are, say, including creatures, then that means that creatures don't get to be a hit because you may end up hitting the creature that makes the enchantment, right? I mean, you don't have to win with all. As long as you can make sure to hit the artifact plus enchantment, I don't care about what creatures or planeswalkers I'm running. Or I don't care about what creatures I'm running if I'm going for artifact or what artifacts I'm running if I'm going for creature. Sure. You just have to make sure two of them are amazing, and the rest can be producing for those two. So you're you're saying we should just ignore all other modes, uh, and then go for the omniscience line, or 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 focus on the artifact plus creature and have the other. I think you have to focus on two modes at most three, but not on all of them. Yeah, that's kind of what I I arrived at as well. I figured maybe skipping enchantments and planeswalkers is the way to go, um, and then. You could maybe do something with lands, uh, although, like, what land do you really want to hit? Uh, and do you want to water down your deck with MDFCs so that you're guaranteed to hit it? So, so how do you look for enchantment tokens producers? There's got to be, well, I guess all the adventures are creatures, so that doesn't really help us here. What makes enchantment tokens? We don't have much, right? Uh, there were two that I found. There were like four, or they were five and six mana respectively. I didn't didn't write down the card names because uh, a five mana uh, token maker to cast your six mana spell doesn't seem like uh, you're in the best of spots 
if you're playing modern. No, no, it's the other way around, right? We have, like, Nico is the ex- least expensive one I can think about. Sure. Nico-Aris. Yeah. Yeah, Nico probably makes the most sense. There's definitely something in Theros that makes art or enchantment creature tokens, but I cannot remember what it is. It makes, like, enchantment minotaurs. Okay. Or enchantment golems. Okay, so Aphemia makes zombies. Archon makes idiots. Godfavor General has inspired and makes enchantments. Okay, so we have enchantment creature token. So we have a few. There's at least a few enteros. Yeah. Because the token exists. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's like there's definitely a token that gets created that is an enchantment creature. Well, we can do these scryfall searches on our own time. We're on the people's time. Okay, the old growth troll when it dies. Yeah, okay, okay. But yeah, it's gonna be a tough one, but at least it's gonna be an interesting one. Yeah, certain, certainly a very demanding choice uh, if we end up choosing the craziness that is chaotic transformation. For those who have access to the show notes, be sure to pop in and check out the included Calvin and Hobbes cartoon uh, because it's phenomenal. <laughs> Tyrannosaurus in F14s. That's the way to go, clearly. That's why Dan's the CEO, because he includes comics and notes on all of these cards. Well, not comics on all of them. Comics right. on this particular card. <laughs> but he includes notes on all of these cards in spite of not being here right now. Exactly. He's with us, on essence. It also perfectly encapsulates every single card that is nominated with one person going, this is so cool, and another person saying, this is so stupid. but he's both at the same time right but let me tell you about something that's not stupid it's one with the multiverse are you one with the multiverse i'm not but someone might be and those someones might be voting on this card that someone might be jack hart who nominated one with the multiverse before i tell you about his nomination this is an enchantment for six blue blue it says you may look at the top card of your library anytime You may play lands and cast spells from the top of your library, and once during each of your turns, you may cast a spell from your hand or the top of your library without paying its mana cost. So a little bit reminiscent of Future Sight, a little bit reminiscent of Omniscience. Jack Hart writes, I recently went on a 10-day silent meditation retreat, which I believe is roughly equivalent to casting this card. Lotus Field, Kinnon, Resurgent Belief, the possibilities are infinite. Uh, and while the possibilities may not be infinite, this is one heck of a powerful effect. I guess the comparison immediately would be Omniscience and or Future Sight, um, which is infinitely more castable. So is one with the multiverse that sweet spot between those two cards that nobody was asking for? I'm a fan. <sighs> I, the card is sweet. It reminds me of Bolas's Citadel, and it makes me want to build a similar style deck with it. Um, for those of you who uh, have heard my antics in the past, I have burned a lot of tickets trying to make Bolus's Citadel work. Bolus's yeah, Citadel have. does not work. Um, you know, it's always fun, but uh, one of the lines I really liked in the Citadel de- deck was a T1 Lotus Bloom into T2 Profane Tutor, find the Citadel and cast it on turn three. Unfortunately, this is an eight mana card, so that line does not work, but... Maybe we can figure out an alternate line or something similar. Uh, you know, our Lotus Bloom isn't costing us anything on turn one, so maybe we get some sort of mana dork or something down. 
Um, basically just try and get that ramped out as soon as possible. And because you don't have some of the same um, deck building requirements as the Citadel decks, namely you, you, you're not burning your life every time you cast spells off the top of your deck, you don't need to include a ton of the bad cards that I was including to keep myself alive. So I am a fan of this one. Anybody else excited? I'm excited. I, I think I want this one to win. Uh, <laughs> so I'm a boomer in that I would rather play Future Sight for a fair card. Or if I'm going to play something goofy and over the top, I'd rather play Omniscience. And again, this hits that sweet spot that nobody's asking for. As I compared it before, <laughs> this is the second cup to the Starbucks and Tim Hortons slash McDonald's of the world. Uh, <laughs> this is an interesting middle ground that I am yeah. not interested in. So that's my personal feeling on the matter. And uh, I wonder if Mord can build some kind of combo deck or he does tend to gravitate towards something that is either uh, better than the best in class or just completely insane. And I don't know this is, if this is either of those things. The biggest issue is finding a deck that in the same case as Yora doesn't want a Neve or a Talia right. and in this case doesn't want... A straight up omniscience to win on the spot because you have the 15 mana Embracle in your hand and doesn't want a future side to just pop off on value. That considers paying three extra mana is better than paying three mana for a spell on top slash on your hand. Which is super hard to find. Maybe some sort of value deck that is able to cheat this into play. Ah? Uh, ah? Uh, I think that's the biggest one. Chaotic transformation into one with the multiverse. I think we broke it. We just go deep. Yeah, and I think there I think there were some people who were taking an attempt at playing um Glimpse of Tomorrow, uh, but like the more all-in version with like four copies of Omniscience and four copies of this. Because of course, if you cast Omniscience with this, then you're rolling. Yeah. <laughs> but if I want to cast both of those, I would rather just win the game via anything that doesn't require 18 mana. Well, no, I mean, you're glimpsing into one of them, right? Glimpse of tomorrow. You're flipping them into the, onto the battlefield okay. for free. So the idea was you had to, you, you got to rule of eight omniscience, which is definitely a thing that this sort of lets you do. It does allow you to rule of fate if you're playing like 15 mana, like 15 mana Embracle and such in your deck, and you really want to be able to consistently cheat into play. You can also cast for free from your hand. Like, the free spell is from anywhere. Right, exactly. That, that's what I'm saying, is that you, you can use this to cast an Omniscience, and then the Omniscience lets you cast off the top uh, as much as you want. No. No? Is Omniscience only from your hand? Were they, did they bother to be that specific? Yes. That is very upsetting. They bother to be that specific. This card wouldn't exist if Omniscience was from anywhere, because then you just play Future Side plus Omniscience. I guess? Although, I don't actually see that being something that is not acceptable no like if you cast an omniscience and a future site you probably deserve to win uh but you know maybe well but you're not casting any yeah, yeah but i don't think that shouldn't be possible i think this card wouldn't exist if that was possible right i guess not so lovely card hope that if it wins we can find it at home but i'm afraid of just running into the it's a bit of everything scenario yeah, but you know what? Sometimes something that's a bit of everything is better than the thing that's uh, way too much in the middle. Like our next card, the modal card, Touch the Spirit Realm, and Mord, 
I know that you launched us into the last one, but this really seems right up your alley because we've got two and a white for an enchantment that is essentially an O-ring, Oblivion Ring. So when Touch the Spirit Realm enters the battlefield, exile up to one target artifact or creature until Touch the Spirit Realm leaves the battlefield. But it also has a channel ability for one and a white, discard Touch the Spirit Realm, exile target artifact or creature, and you return to the battlefield under its owner's control at the beginning of the next end step so that's the flicker wisp timing judge rob writes okay so i know this is not a modern card he's wrong it is never going to compete <laughs> there he's also wrong i do think that this is the most flexible flicker effect in pioneer especially at instant speed it will upgrade prototype cards will give you extra cards from experimental synthesizer and doubles as mediocre removal in a pinch there are lots of faces to explore with this card, and I think it can act as glue holding together some other cards as a really great support and enabler card. So just for Rob, Judge Rob's edification, uh, Respect the Cat has gotten a ridiculous number of trophies playing Karuga yeah. nonsense in uh, Modern, and Touch the Spirit Realm has been a very relevant part of those decks. So the power of Touch the Spirit Realm comes from the fact an instant that blinks a creature until the end step, either your or your opponents, and also um, extends to artifacts, never costs one mana once we ignore the most busted one of them, which is Ephemerate. Right. So this spell is on cost if you ignore the most powerful one. So if for some reason you cannot play Ephemerate, because maybe you already play four, or maybe you are playing Keruga, or maybe you're playing Cascade, this is actually the second best option, even in Modern. So this card has seen a lot of play in the last couple of months. Like, in Modern. It sure has, and it has that stacking thing of, like, you can use the Touch the Spirit Realm to um, exile, like, a Rhino Token, and then use it to Fairy to bounce it, and then either use it again for its initial ability or its channel ability. It's really surprisingly flexible and surprisingly well uh costed yeah i wasn't really into this card until i heard you guys talk about it now i'm now i'm in i don't know about brew around but you know blinking stuff's cool let me tell you about combat thresher combat thresher is yeah. friends with this card keep your one one double strike into a three three double strike for seven that cannot get pushed cannot get removed but you have to remove it in the format that's that also draws your card Perfect. Mm -hmm. What else can you ask for? Mm -hmm. Worst case scenario, you just exile your opponent Kalitas. Children nowadays. <laughs> I mean, one or both. Yeah, the, the great part about this card is it has to be one of the most versatile cards in Magic's. I don't want to say history, but it's so freaking versatile. Yeah, it's pretty strong. Also, channel escaping stuff like in modern 3 mana the fairy or just like playing around counters but super efficiently is never something to disregard. This is so much better than like a do a mortal card, a mortal spell. Yeah, in a lot of ways, because one of the modes is essentially uncounterable. Yeah, yeah, and also with resurgent belief, we can we always want to go back to resurgent belief. We just need a good reason or a good card that actually makes it work. So, in the resurgent belief deck, is there anything on your side that you want to flicker? I mean, if I'm playing white, I want to play Solitude in any deck, so... Sure. Yeah, yeah, And that fits well into the, uh... Into the Resurgent Belief decks, because it doesn't get in the way of your Cascading. Uh, and if you're exactly. heavy white, then uh, Solitude is definitely, you know, welcome addition anyway. 
So you can play eight removals in your Cascade deck for touch, for solitudes. For Leyline Bindings. And for Leyline Binding, you'll get access to 12 removals while playing Cascade in a baseline white deck. So, going downwards, into Fairy Bundles staple in every single monthly project, another mediocre standard card. Not my words. We have Tainted Adversary. 2 mana, 2-3, two, Zombie Death Touch. When it enters the battlefield, you may pay 3 any number of times to an block. When you pay this cost one or more times, put that many counters on the adversary and create twice that many 2-2 two, two Black Zombies with Decay. Adam Esser writes, Have you ever looked at Kids of Ederborn and thought, I wish this card scaled better into the mid and late game? No? Too bad. I'm making you try out another mediocre standard card. What was Adam's last commendation? I was trying to think, but it was super similar. It was super similar to the description Gifted Ederborn with Upside. Oh man, it wasn't the white adversary. No, no, it wasn't. We played that recently. We, we have put that in decklist recently, but it wasn't that. So I have been testing out this card in Ragnos actually continues in Explorer, and it's surprisingly how much a 2-3 with Death Touch in the first couple of turns can completely shut down aggro and board-based decks. Especially when you can pay 5 mana and get 2 extra pieces of cover for free to fit to the dispute or to open when you don't have anything better to do. I think this card is genuinely overlooked in black-based decks in Pioneer and Explorer specifically. Yeah, so for 5 mana, you're getting the Adversary, a 2-3 Death Touch. Uh, but it becomes a 3-4 Death Touch, but you also get two 2-2 two, two Black Decayed Zombies, and I just, I'm just not sure of the relative value of that. And then for 8, I mean, you're really stretching if you're going to say, like, I'm going to get 8 in my Sacrifice deck, but... This card works super well, specifically as every adversary with Ether Vial in the fact you can go yeah. turn 3, Vial is in on end step, pay 3, get 7 power... And if you're playing anything remotely, so if you're playing zombies and you just go on your opponent's step on turn three, put three bodies, seven power on board, and then you play literally any of either Midnight Reaper. No, Midnight Reaper doesn't work. That's the issue. Yeah, because that one's non-token, but the um, uh, Undead Augur works. Undead Augur works. Uh, and you can sacrifice them to Goblin Bombardment or Carrion Feeder. It's just... There have been recent successful black red sacrifice and or Jun sacrifice decks, and this kind of card was not in them. So my initial reaction is this must be limited to Pioneer and what you can do with it, and the kind of cards that work with it, that work well with it, uh, I'm not sure. Although Champion of the Perished definitely is happy about three zombies coming into yeah. play. Telegraph Captain seems unplayable nowadays. Mm -hmm. That's sad. These three creatures into Telegraph immediately makes you hit for 12. That's not the worst. Sorry, 11? Which isn't the worst on an uncurved tribal beatdown. But yeah, suffering from being too fair and the fact that a lot of your own lords don't care about, unlikely some of the best, don't care about specifically zombie tokens. Makes it so it works on its own betrayal sometimes. It just feels too expensive. I don't know. I like your line with the uh, the Aether Vial. That's about the only line I like with this thing. Yeah, you have to play this either with Aether Vial or ways to increase your mana production. However, we will have to go on to the next card because we're reaching the one hour mark 
and it's my fault, so I'm gonna get get. Well, let me tell you about Safara Sky's Blade, because we've got a really good friend to this card, but before I get to its friend, four white, 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 that's seven mana value for a legendary creature, Angel. You may pay white and tap four untapped creatures you control with flying, rather than pay this spell's mana cost. It has flying and lifelink, and it has the ability other creatures you control with flying have indestructible. It is a seven, seven. So this is a flying tribal payoff. Uh, it fits well with, um, there's a spirit lord uh, for one blue-white. Empyrean angel, or Empyrean eagle, rather. Empyrean eagle. Empyrean yes. eagle is the one. Yeah, yeah, which I believe is from the same set. So there was a uh, kind of flying tribal theme in that set. And Pedro de, de Almeida uh, writes, Okay. I've seen players go to great lengths and fill decks with bad artifacts and artifact makers to cast Herald of Anguish for two mana, and they say it's good. Imagine a better, question mark, version of that card. Sephara is bigger and can be cast for one mana. She has lifelink as it is possible to race again. One mana flyers are impressive, fast, and good in Pioneer and Modern, and the blue ones could even protect Sephara. Not to mention flying support got a lot of power-ups over the years. Here's a few interesting one-mana flyers to consider. Cloudfin Raptor, Gilded Goose, Mausoleum Wanderer, Judge's Familiar, Phoenix Chick, Terramander, Siren Storm Tamer, Spectral Sailor. Interesting, right? Now imagine the potential of two and three drops to follow. And the one I want to point out is Modern Horizons 1 Inclusion, Battle Screech. There's a sorcery that's two white-white. Oh! Great two one-one white bird creature tokens with flying and has flashback tap three untapped white creatures you control so you get uh four um one one white flyers for four mana as long as you have one uh white creature untapped when you first cast it so definitely a lot of ways we can cheat safara into play uh it is legendary which is like a small downside at first i thought it wasn't legendary it is legendary but yeah, Flying Tribal. There's tools for it in Pioneer, and there's definitely tools for it in Modern. Yeah, you got the slivers in Modern. You can get Gelrider Sliver or <laughs> Cloud Shredder Sliver. And uh, if you're playing with your Changelings, as I am, because I'm playing a Magda deck, because... Right, right, right. Magda Changelings, let's go. <laughs> yeah. So... So we're not even playing a tribe now. <laughs> we're not even sweeping a tribe we're magnetizing a concept, fly. <laughs> so we have gone so far. We have dropped tribes for concepts. <laughs> yeah, keywords. It's, it's how I work, okay? Magda Trample is next. Oh. I'm saying. I'm not saying, but I'm saying. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, it, it, uh, I, I actually think that the, uh, the, the route I would take this is um, something like Psy. Or, uh, yeah, probably Psy. Um, and then... How weird. How weird, Brian, looking at the Artifact Matters blue deck. Blue-based artifact interactions for your, for, your, for your objectives. I'm just saying. I never guessed that. I'm just saying. There's a Jeskai uh, legendary creature that, like, creates flying spirit tokens. <gasps> yes! Oh, yeah. Yes! Uh, uh, Kai Kaithar or Kai? Kai uh, what's it? 
Um, y a... Kikar, Kaikar. Whenever you cast a non-creature spell, create a 1-1, one, one, and then you can sack a spiritual or whatever. And they're flying, right? Yeah. Okay, so that, that was one of the ways I was thinking about this, because um, Dan has some good notes in here. Uh, Dan has some good notes, quoting David, where he said, Think back. When was the last time you had four creatures on the battlefield? Was it never? And my answer was, no, it was today, and I did it like five times. And I'll tell you why. It's because I was playing third path iconoclast in modern. But Kaikar is a very similar effect that we can play in both modern and pioneer that creates flying creatures. Yeah. Additionally, I will say uh, that if we play Jeskai and or whatever, um, both Spectral Sailor, Siren Storm Tamer, Judge's Familiar, and Mausoleum Wanderer are cheap flying creatures that have the potential to be a good disruptive effect. Um, obviously, in several of their cases, you have to sacrifice them. Yes, I understand that's going to reduce your flyer count. I'm just saying there is a possibility of some proven constructed staples to exist in this list. Yeah. It's a, it's a beautiful card. Sephara is a beautiful card. The dream of having a turn 3 or 4, 7, 7, flying lifelink is just willing to crush any fur-based strategy, like, immediately. Also giving you infinite champ blockers in the form of all your flyers having destructible. Is the dream too cute? We are going to find that out if it wins. Mm -hmm. But we follow with a card with a much simpler dream, a square dream, a 3-mana three 3-3 three three dream. Are you talking of Gix, Yogmoth Praetor? Exactly. Ah, yes. Gix. Yogmoth Praetor. One black black legendary creature, Phyrexian Praetor. Whenever a creature deals combat damage to one of your opponents, its controller may pay one life. If they do, they draw a card. Activated ability. Four black black black. Discard X cards. Exile the top X cards of target opponent's library. You may play lands and cast spells from among cards exiled this way without paying their mana cost. And this is a 3-3. Three, three. This was nominated by Tyler M., who writes, I've been working on a Cabal Coffers deck. This seems like it could be good to draw through your deck with stuff like Dothy or Phyrexian Flesh Gorger, but I don't know about good synergy with the discard ability, so that's why I pay you. This just makes me think of Kinnon. We have a seven mana activated ability, and as I've been told numerous times when brewing with Kinnon, that is flavor text. So... <laughs> Black Kinnon. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, my, my go-to, I would start looking at cost reducers. Uh, I am, I'm a Zerda man, and so uh, my, that's where I jump. Um, you know, one of the few legal uh, companions that is perhaps worth playing, maybe. But but yeah, I don't I don't I don't know how it'd be like, I don't know that I would want to be really going all in on that activated ability. Uh, Cabal Coffers obviously makes a lot of sense if you're trying to, to go big on the mana. So my biggest issue with geeks is not with geeks, actually, but rather with the fact that going straight for the activated abilities, it depends on your opponent's deck. So I think if you're going to play Geeks, you ought to try and maximize the effect of its first ability, which is like an 8-rig effect. Whenever a creature you connect, you control connects, draw a card. So stuff like Phoenix Stick and such, that tends to be relevant, all of a sudden you have to remove or have an instant speed removal for the 8 Geeks before you just get drowned in card advantage. 
get some some hasty creatures in there, maybe a little uh green black. Ragdos full on aggro or mono black aggro, turn one one drop, turn two double one drop, turn three geeks, draw three cards, connect for five. Yeah, and it lends itself both to devotion strategies for being one black black, as well as again, yeah. as previously mentioned, the cabal coffer strategy for modern, uh, because it's like a reasonable card on its own. Like, if it was one black black for a 3-3 three, three, that whenever it dealt combat damage to one of your opponents, you uh, you got to draw a card and lose one life. Like, there are some matchups where that's just fine. Um, obviously, it dies in the lightning bolt, but still, it's fine. And then whenever you do get to, like, pump a bunch of mana into it to discard a bunch of cards, maybe you're getting some crazy payoff off of your opponent's deck. Although that that part seems more likely in Pioneer, so... The Pioneer fit, in my mind, would be more maybe like a Black Devotion deck. Yeah, I agree. A Black Devotion loads the ground aggro deck that allows you to just mostly exploit the first ability with the upside of the second one on long games. This does seem like a good friend of uh, Ragavan. You know, you make those treasure tokens. Everything is a good friend of Ragavan. Ragavan has a lot of friends. Nothing is anti-Ragavan. What? Me. I said nothing, no, no one. <laughs> Not a thing, I'm a mana symbol. <laughs> Got him. Got him indeed. Do you want to go to the next card? Sure, I certainly do, because this thing is a baller. So y'all know, and if you don't, how much of a fan I am of Figure of Destiny, of Warden of the First Tree, of uh, the... Resident Sleeper? No. Uh, Phyrexian Sleeper, whatever it's called. Um, and we've got the newest, latest installment into that cycle. It's the Surge Engine. So for two mana, you get a 3-2 artifact creature construct with Defender. For a single blue, a Surge Engine loses Defender and gains this creature can't be blocked. So you get for three mana, a 3-2 uh, unblockable, which is pretty sick. For two and a blue, you can activate, and it becomes blue, and it has base power five, four. Activate only if it doesn't have defender, so, of course, it is dependent on you having activated the first ability. And then for four blue, blue, you draw three cards, and you can activate this only if it's blue and only once. Ethan M. writes, Our third figure of destiny in Ascendant Spirit sees Pioneer play. Does a 5-4 unblockable that draws cards make the list? Dan wrote, Ascendant Spirit is good company to keep. Not sure the Surge Engine is exactly the same style of card because it plays more in the artifact space, but that's not a bad thing. We know that we're suckers for Grand Architect in Modern. David likes Tezzeret, Betrayer of Flesh, and Pioneer, as well as Renowned Weaponsmith. These cards all add to your ability to activate the abilities of the Surge Engine and get it up to those higher levels where it's uh quite powerful i love these kind of cards um but i am a sucker for cards that are great in limited and or cube i really don't see this cutting it in constructed formats but i would be really interested to see where we could push it if we had to all i have to really offer about this one is that it is uh i like it because it is a construct so it is another construct in the toolbox of constructs that the Scrapyard Recombiner MH1 All-Star that never was uh, 
can find. So the Scrapyard Recombiner has an ability where you can uh, sacrifice an artifact and tutor a another construct out of your deck. Um, and when I first saw the Recombiner, I did a Scryfall search for constructs. It turns out there aren't a lot of good ones. But, you know, it's uh, it's another tool in the toolbox. So I, I like it because it's a construct. Thank you for attending my TED Talk. <laughs> the artifact TED Talk. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what this would go in uh, that's especially spicy. You know, this just seems like a, a, a very fair fair card. You only have the Grand Architect dream. Making it blue immediately and trying to draw three cards. Yeah. Skipping step one and two. I mean, a 5-4 unblockable, that's a uh, solid clock. Maybe this is a one-of and, and a deck that can tutor for it if you just need... Uh, like something that if you draw it, it's not a complete dead draw. But it's a good way to grind out games when needed slash presenting a clock, yeah. So getting to the next card, I mentioned a card super similar to this one like an hour ago, but I was talking about for creatures, but what happens when we want to play cheap non-creatures? Then we have Blood Funnel. When a black for an enchantment that reads non-creature spells you play cost two less to play, this seems amazing, it's like double Baral on a Chuman enchantment, harder to remove, double the effect. However, whenever you play a non-creature spell, counter that spell unless you sacrifice a creature. Kill your Trout writes, I believe the Faceless Brewing Crew has what it takes to put the Oh Fun in Blood Funnel. <laughs> <laughs> it has unknown shanky combos. Maybe, just maybe, <laughs> there are some undiscovered shankier combos that you can unleash in modern. Does the flip side of um, the, the, the hermit, uh, does that help here? I'm looking at exactly that. Malevolent hermit. You can beat off summer and win. You can beat off summer and play as many spells you, you, you care about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, the flip side of Benevolent Geist. Uh, benevolent Geist is the flip side of Benevolent Hermit. It says non-creature spells you control can't be countered. So that helps. Um, I don't hate playing a deck with four main deck Veil of Summers. And, and four uh, main deck Benevolent Hermit. Yeah, so what happens... So let's say you want to make a deck that just combos off. You, you pay a three mana tax in two cards in the form of Blood Funnel and Bale. Mm-hmm. And that turn, you can just play three mana Nosiums and stuff and go super well. So Eager Wellspring for free. You can make a lot of stuff just popping off. Yeah, the first thing I think of is the fact that Seething Song is banned. So that's one of the biggest incentives for, like, something that is, like, too generic and then one colored mana. Uh, that is, like, gas. I don't know how many other cards there are. This card is super interesting, and I think you have to look at it from two different axes. You have three axes, sorry. You have the Bale plus Blood and try to go off. You have the Blood plus Creatures in the form of Blood Gas, Nether Spirit, Third Path Iconoclast, Young Pyromancer, you know what I mean. Make sure that you're actually playing this fairly. Or you flood funnel into specific instant sorceries that they themselves can be countered. Thought Distortion, Commence the End Game, Supreme Verdict, Six Mana Chandra. You use this as a rump spell for specific spells that don't care about the secondary clocks. Or you just play main deck Boseishu, like the bad Boseishu. So it actually seems like it has three different axes to try and play this card. I like the Veil plan. The bad Boseishu really makes me uh, 
question your sanity, but... But those issue goes in the Bait of Summer, Mil- Malevolent Her- Hermit Package. I guess, but like, I can't begin to imagine what spell you're actually trying to cast with that. Adnosium. It's always Adnosium. Right, right, right. You're just <laughs> trying to win the game on the spot. Yeah, yeah, you're trying to win that turn. It's either Adnosium or it's the or Peer into the Abyss. You're casting one spell that's going to give you so many cards they can counter any other and you have more. Mm. Especially because you're going to start playing three mana rocks. Like, so let's say you play this, like on turn five you go Bait of Summer. Actually, yeah, Bait of Summer, Blood Funnel, Peer into the Abyss. If your deck is built correctly, like you go, sorry, Bait of Summer, Blood Funnel, any ritual, Peering to the Abyss. If your deck is built correctly with those 25 cards, 20 cards you're going to draw, if, even if you're playing stuff like Mana Rocks, you're going to have around 4 or 5 mana to keep going off just from your Mana Rocks and such. Like, if, if you're allowing that, your deck has to win with the cost reduction of this. Starting to sound like the, uh, the Silver Gak deck. Got some mana rocks that you don't have to pay for because you got your semblance anvil, and uh, boom, off to the races. Exactly. I, I think of something like that, exactly. With the downside that this is an enchantment, so it's like Blood Funnel's an enchantment, and it makes other non creature spells cost less, but they're always going to cost at least one colored mana. Whereas semblance anvil and uh, cloud something key. Cloud key, yeah. Your cloud key make artifacts cost less. And generic costs can actually go all the way down to zero. Key key makes anything cost one less. Yeah. And it's only one. Like, it's a lot worse. Well, yeah, but it's great in the all artifact deck because it's an artifact. Oh, yeah, yeah, I agree, I agree, I agree. What I'm saying is Blood Funnel has the limiting factor of it's an enchantment that already costs one generic and one colored mana. And whatever yeah. else that you're playing, like... If you're playing this in an enchantment synergy deck, well, all enchantments are going to cost at least one colored mana. But the thing is, you don't have to play in an enchantment synergy deck. You can play this in an artifact slash instant sorcery spell deck. You just use the mana as a way to make fast mana. Because you don't have Lotus Petal, but if my talisman is going to become a, a Lotus Petal that doesn't die, I like it. Yeah, I just... My initial reaction is like, isn't Semblance Anvil like the better but worse but better version of this maybe also it's worth adding that with the color glass this got a whole lot better yeah because now i can play this in an artifact like i can go iconoclast into wellspring into talisman into wellspring yep do crappy stuff go off go off, go off sucking the artifacts themselves i like it so that's super nice that's definitely in my alley i really like this card kill trout i commend you on this one a lot better than green march so, only three cards left. Let's go for the next one. It's an oldie but a goodie. It's Deathrite Shaman. For those who don't know, Deathrite Shaman is black or green. Yes, it's a mana value of one, but it's hybrid mana. For black or green, you get a one-two. What? Yeah, you get a one-two. Creature Elf Shaman. It's got three activated ability, much like a Planeswalker. Not that I'm comparing it to one, but some people may or will do. Um, so tap, exile one target land card from a graveyard, add one mana of any color to your mana pool, black and tap, exile target incident or sorcery card from a graveyard, each opponent loses two life, or green and tap, exile target creature card from a graveyard, you gain two life. Uh, Helium writes, 
Enough already. It's time to break this card again. Card pool has been growing steadily in Pioneer, and there has to be something out there to make it work. For clarity, this card is banned in both Modern and Legacy. So, uh, available for play in Pioneer. And Dan responds, Oh, Helium, you beautiful dreamer. And that's because people don't play fetches in Pioneer. We have to bring our own. You either have to mill cards off your own deck, or I guess you could play things like Fabled Passage. So, this card definitely did at some point see some play in some Elves decks in the Pioneer format. But other than that, it's a pretty tough sell there. And of course, uh, total non, non-starter for modern it's a it's a real shame i ran out and bought a play set of these as soon as i saw pioneer was announced because they were cheap at the time and uh then they spiked up in price and uh, they're probably cheap again because nobody plays them and i haven't had an opportunity to play them but i also don't play pioneer so uh if this one wins i'm gonna have to leave that up to smarter minds or get into pioneer I think the same day that the Right Shaman is calling Pioneer is exactly the same day Omnath gets banned. Mm-hmm. And maybe the Right Shaman. <laughs> that seems reasonable, yeah. It's a card that's too dangerous to be allowed to be good. But it's really fun in stuff that plays, index that plays stuff like the Seder and such that are gonna self enable the Graver and this works like an amazing mana dork and it always has the late game inevitability, it's always hard. Well, I don't know how much needs to be said because there have already been volumes written on the Elf Shaman. So why don't we move on to, I think, perhaps one of the greatest, maybe maybe the greatest character in Magic's history, Urza, Lord Protector. Urza, one white-blue legendary creature, human artificer for a 2-4 Urza reads, artifact, instant, and sorcery spells you cast cost one generic less to cast. Uh, has an activated ability, seven generic mana. If you both own and control Urza Lord Protector and an artifact named the Mightstone and the Weakstone, exile them, then meld them into Urza Planeswalker. Activate only as a sorcery. Uh, so, again, I, I, I guess I got both of the melds this time. Uh... Urza's partner in crime here is the Might Stone and the Weak Stone. For five generic mana, you get a legendary artifact Power Stone. When the Might Stone and the Weak Stone enters the battlefield, choose one, draw two cards, or target creature gets minus five, minus five until end of turn. And it has the activated ability, tap, add two generic mana. This mana can't be spent to cast non-artifact spells. Oh, and then the Urza Planeswalker, if you manage to meld, uh, is too small for these old eyes to read. It comes in with seven loyalty. You may activate each of its abilities. uh, Sorry, you may activate its abilities twice per turn. So plus two is artifact, instant, and sorcery spells you cast. This turn costs two less to cast. You gain two life. You may activate that up to two times. Plus one, you draw two cards and discard a card. Plus zero, you create two colorless 1-1 soldier artifact creature tokens. Minus three, exile target non-land permanent. And minus ten, artifacts and planeswalkers you control gain indestructible. And till end of turn, destroy all non-land permanents. So if you manage to mail, you either draw four and discard two, or you get to remove a permanent and draw two discard, or gain four life and make 
Artifact instant sorcery spells cost four less. You can remove two non-land permanents the turn you meld this. Yeah. And you have an Urza with one loyalty. Thing is definitely spicy. Uh, and this was nominated by Tombo Catcher, who writes, I just want to follow the instructions on the box and meld these cards together. To be honest, I'm no longer sure that Urza is the better brother, but he seems more interesting to brew with. The cost reduction for both artifacts and instants and sorceries can benefit various fringe strategies, from Metalwork Colossus to Paradoxical Outcome, or just artifacts mid-range. The Mightstone and Weakstone is playable by itself in the right deck. These cards are by no means broken, but maybe we can pioneer, because that's the right format for this card. I have to say that this is the type of thing that I would absolutely go for, um, and I recognize that it is not a modern power level combo. However, I have lamented, and this is part of why I don't play much Pioneer, there is no uh, artifact deck to my liking, but having a cost reducer... Uh, in Urza mm, is somewhat enticing. I don't know that you know this would ever get there in Pioneer either, but uh, this is the type of thing that I think would get my foot in the door. Um, I'm definitely interested. The Metalwork Colossus deck in Pioneer seems super up your alley. I think I think you should try it at least once. I would be I would be willing to try it. Yeah, there's uh, come on melding. Eight mana worth of spells in and modern that seems easy, easy at twice the price. Super easy. We saw Zach try that on stream, and he had a marvelous time melding every single game. You had a beautiful stream with this card. Yeah, right, right, right. So in the modern leagues that I played with the Urza Lord Protector and Mightstone and Weakstone deck with the kind of eight cast core, uh, there were two different games where I was going to be able to uh, actually meld them which uh, unfortunately I had already won. Uh, so by the time I was about to actually put both into play and meld them, my opponents conceded to my army of thought monitors and thought casts and memnites and ornithopters and cranial platings. So what I'm saying is if you build a deck that's good enough to win without these cards, you can win without these cards. That said, there were multiple games where Urza Lord Protector plus the reality chip were pretty powerful together, and I think you could uh, play that combination of cards in Pioneer. Uh, to what level of success? I don't know. Uh, but cards like Springleaf Drum and Ornithopter are available, as is Moonsnare Prototype, so uh, maybe worth exploring. Yeah, I, I always want things uh, that reduce the cost of artifacts so that I can play them with Mystic Forge and just go off. And so that, that's why this was particularly appealing in Pioneer, because the cost reducers are hard to come by there. And on the flip side, you also have the reality chip plus Kinnon plus Mox Amber plus Urza. Yeah. So some kind of Bant Just trying Kinnon to deck off. with Springleaf yeah, Drums that super and Moonsnare prototypes might be able to make this work. Yeah. The downside is... The downside is, to be perfectly clear and blunt, I think if you ever meld into Urza Planeswalker, you are going to be unbelievably underwhelmed by what you are uh, given. This is sense, yeah. nowhere near powerful enough. I mean, enough you're also getting value in the meanwhile, right? Like, I don't think if but you're, you you're do too it. underwhelmed, if but in the process it. you actually got value out of Ursa and the Mightstone and the Mixstone. The question is, are those two cards even decent on, enough on their own so that the Planeswalker doesn't have to do all the heavy lifting? 
And I'm not sure. So let's go to our last card. The final card of tonight. So we are all finally released from the spell and we can go consider what we want to win. Every single one of our patrons can vote for the card I hate the most, which likely this time isn't as obvious as the last few times. We have Mechanized Warfare. One and a double red enchantment, so three mana. If a red or artifact source you control will deal damage to an opponent or a permanent an opponent controls, it deals that much damage plus one instead. So we have Enchantment Torbrand. Am I right? Oh, you're 100% right. But it also works for artifacts. Yeah, that's the exciting part. Yeah. Lurking Evil writes, the fact that this card is hard to remove and it can add an absurd amount of damage throughout the game has to mean something in my opinion. What draws me to the card is that it does damage independently of the swords and it bugs both opponents and their permanence. Sorry, I must go. Walking Ballista is crying in his bed. I like these types of cards. They never work out well for me. Um, I think Torbrand's probably the, the best of them, but I have used the, uh, the one and a red one that will uh, deal one damage. When a creature you... with one attacks? Yeah. Um, Cavalcades. That's it, yep. I don't know. This, uh, this feels like a, a bit of a waste of a turn, unless you're doing something like a Resurgent Belief, where it's coming out of the yard alongside a bunch of artifacts that you're then going to hastily swing with and just like get a bunch of damage through, maybe? There's a reasonable number of artifact strategies that go super wide. I mean, the obvious curve is uh, Third Path Iconoclast into Mechanized Warfare on the next turn, and then you have a number of red slash artifact creatures to attack with. This in this enhances the damage of Bomat Courier, uh, Pyrite Spellbomb. It's really interesting. It's also targeting making permanence is huge. Like, these card, sort of cards tend to be shot to the face. Right. And making so every single blow becomes a lot harder that Bombard Courier trading with an X2 and such is super annoying. And also allows you to not lose those specific cards that you like in your deck. Yeah, Goblin Chain Whirler now does two damage. Uh, if you have this plus a Torbrand, then you're doing a crazy amount of damage. This would be insane with Walking Ballista. Ballista pinging for two and attacking for... More for more than it should. Yeah. Like a two-two ballista hitting you for seven. But that said, we could combine this with a red devotion card that I have some hope for. Oh uh, yes. Not not just a uh, disciple of Mogus, but skittering battalion. Yeah, yeah, the skittering. I'm always thinking of the skitterings, and with the skittering, you're hitting for nine. Right, right, right. So for three for three red red, you get uh, three three two tramples. Uh, or if you go all the way up to nine mana, you would get three five four tramples with haste. Yeah, that's a lot better of a side. Like these being three twos just make them trade against anything. Yep. And, and you get so much devotion with this enchantment as well. Right, because it's double red on this one too. So certainly a possibility. And of course, in any devotion deck, having cards that are difficult to remove, the enchantment type, of course, being one of the primary ones for that. Is great. Uh, if you combine this with uh, Leyline of Combustion, Leyline of Combustion deals two damage to your opponent every time they target you or a creature you control. Well, now it's dealing three. There's something about this that is just like really charming. Yeah. And if you're so backtracking to the go wide artifact strategies, uh, 
if you are unable to get through for some reason, uh, one of the favorite uh, sideboard cards or, or tools to pull out is Gear Per Aether Grid. So you can tap two untapped artifacts, deal one damage to any opponent. That is a red enchantment, so now it's dealing two damage. This is one of those cards that has beauty in its simplicity. Just makes you want to try different stuff and see how much you can take, you can get from it. It's definitely the type of card I will almost certainly jam into a deck and then pull out. After losing with it a bunch. So, with all that being said, we have our beautiful selection of cards for this monthly project for you beautiful for our beautiful patrons to take a vote, decide what they would like to see us brew with, and how insane do they want us reach? Do they want to see us just go full on insanity with gouging transformation as we suffer trying to find enchantment tokens? Do they want something more classic in the form of Dragon Tribal with Revas? Or just full on aggression, forget out everything, get the warfare going and seeing a swing with turn one chincher root alongside mechanized warfare. I like it. That's for our beautiful patrons to decide and for us to endure. You can't see it, but I'm I'm waggling my eyebrows right now. Hmm. <laughs> one with the multiverse. <laughs> that was fast. <laughs> I, you know, I, I know what I like. Uh, yeah, yeah, there was no doubt in that. Yeah. But really, a lot of these, I mean, everything but Tainted Adversary. <laughs> <laughs> I don't hate Tainted as much as I hate other one. I'm not going to say specifically what I hate because I'm going to get taunted with it, but I'm super happy for a bunch of them. Either Touch, either Dragon Tribal. I think we can make a lot of this work. So, super happy with this. Uh, thanks so much, everybody, for hearing. Thanks so much for our patrons, for everybody that keeps us going. And hope you have a nice voting. See you again in a few days. Thanks so much, Brian, and thanks so much, Zach. Have a nice night, everybody. Thanks for having me. Good night. Bye-bye. Decklist for this episode can be found at our homepage, faithlessbrewing.com. And tune in next time for a look at the prototype mechanic, plus testing results with Third Path Iconoclast. Support for this podcast is provided by brewers like you. Join the Faithless family and help support the show at patreon.com slash faithlessbrewing for Discord access, bonus content, and more. That's all for today. Stay safe and we'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.